0: Um, One author by the name of David McIntyre, he suggests that prayer is is more than just asking God for things. It's it's a walk with God. He says it's learning to dwell with God. And he says, and most difficult, it's learning to wait on God. He goes on and he actually defines um, a prayer this way. He calls it an ascent of the soul into the sacred presence. John Calvin says, Defined prayer as this is nothing else than the opening up of our heart before God. And Richard Baxter said that prayer is the breath of the new creature. George Herbert said, instead of prayer, he said that prayer is the soul's blood now, of all those definitions there, uh, all of them, the ascend of the soul, the opening of the heart, the breath of the new creature, this, the soul's blood, all of them uh, uh, suggest, I believe, that, that prayer has got to be more than just asking God to give us some stuff. And I think we would, again, all agree with that. But i got to tell you, those definitions really don't help me. Okay, they are lofty and they are beautiful, but they are a little bit beyond me. Okay, I'm a little bit more concrete and not nearly as intelligent. So it's probably why I gravitate to a a much simpler definition of prayer. Wayne Grudem's definition is this he defines prayer as a personal communication with God. Now, I like that. Anybody else? All right, the whole bloodline thing and everything, I don't know what's going on there. All right, but I do understand what communication is, and it's communication with God. And I probably like Tim Keller's definition a little bit better because it not only tells us kind of what it is, but it also kind of tells us um, a little bit more of how it works, how this prayer thing works. He calls prayer, he defines it this way. He says prayer is a personal communicative response to the knowledge of God. So here's how I want to be able to define prayer. In essence, let me put it in the simplest way as I possibly can. It's us responding verbally to God, all right, in light of God's communication to us. In other words, he communicates to us, and then in light of the knowledge that he's giving us about himself and about his will and about who he is, we respond, he takes the initiative, and we respond to that, that initiative through prayer, through praying to him. So oftentimes we don't think about it that way, we think of just prayer as us speaking, but there can be no prayer if God has not spoken. God speaks, and then in response of him speaking, we are to respond. And so for the rest of our service, I just want to look at those two facets just for a moment. I just want to look at first of all the fact that God speaks, and then the second is that we must respond, and that's what prayer looks like. So, some of this is, might be familiar if you were here with the uh, uh, during the uh, theology of the hear series. Some of this is going to sound a little bit familiar, but I thought that it was pertinent. I thought that it was important uh, for us to be able to revisit some of these things. Look, look, two truths today concerning prayer. First of all, get this: God speaks. God speaks. I see a couple of heads. Uh, this is probably one of those good times. If you've been saving an amen, that might be a good place for it. Uh, God speaks, right? God speaks. Now, let's look at our, our text of scripture this morning in Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is what the author of Hebrews says. He says, a long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our father's by the prophets. So here's what the author's saying. He's looking back over the whole whole course of human history. And he looks back and he can see periodic times, different, different times in which God has clearly spoken. Uh, not all at one time, but in little bits and pieces over a long period of time, God spoke concerning who he was and, and what he was all about and his will. And and, and what we know is this is what we sometimes call progressive revelation. In other words, God was only given little bits and pieces to mankind about who he was and what he was all about over a long period of time, but he didn't give it all at one time. So each progressive generation, each generation that would come, they would be able to accumulate more knowledge and more knowledge and more knowledge about who this God was. So every, uh, every, next, uh, uh, every generation that would come in the past would know more about who this God was and his will. But they didn't receive it all at once. It was progressive, a little bit at a time. And, and so that's what he means there when he says that many times God spoke. But he also says here is that it was not only many times, but it was also in many ways which suggests that God didn't speak in just one way. And when we look at the Old Testament we see that, he had used many different modes to communicate who he is and what he's all about to mankind. We see it with Adam and Eve, he spoke face-to-face. Can you imagine that? By the way, this is why we were created, to walk in the cool of the day with our creator and communing with him. Pretty amazing thought, isn't it? So they're talking to him face-to-face. After that, we find uh, people, God God's speaking in different ways. Sometimes he speaks through a bush. Right? Sometimes he speaks through writing, writing with his own finger out the Ten Commandments. Later on, we see that he begins to speak through a myriad of, of, uh, of prophets, as, as Hebrews mentions here. He even begins to speak through events throughout history and history itself. God is constantly me- communicating many different times and in many different ways throughout, uh, throughout human history. And so what he says next, though, is incredibly important. In verse 2, he says, But, he says, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So here's what he's saying. Hey, look, uh, in the past, God was constantly communicating, constantly speaking to us. He did it in a lot of different ways. But now... He reveals himself completely, more accurately, more fully than he ever has before and that he ever will. If you want to know what God was like, if you want to know what his will is like, here's how you know, you know through the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. And so what we find is as we continue to read, this is what the author is trying to get at when he says that he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. When he says he's the exact imprint, he's talking about a die being cast. Just stop and think about a big piece of metal that has a shape or some kind of design on it. And it's stamped into clay or it's stamped into wax. And when it does, and it's brought away, the exact image of that stamp is now within that clay. Jesus is that clay. So what he's saying is, he says, hey, this is why Jesus could say, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John, John says it this way. He says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." Do you ever wonder why Jesus calls, or, or why John calls Jesus the Word? Because the word Logos, the Greek word Logos, speaks of revelation. It speaks of communication. John was basically saying, "He says, in the beginning was the communication of God." He he was there from all eternities past. He is the one who lets us know so that we can know. God, to look at God, it's too bright. No man can see him and live. So what does he do? He gives us the picture of God in flesh, Jesus Christ, so that we know who he is and what he's all about. So he says he spoke to us through Christ, but all of us understand that we can't see Christ right now, can we? Not with our eyes, right? He's not here, he's not walking along with us. I know some people pretend or not pretend but suggest yeah well jesus came in my room well wow that's really amazing because the bible says he's seated at the right hand of the father so interesting that he would come and hang out in your room but anyway um beside the point uh he 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 he, we understand this that he still communicates to us and so the question is how do we know about him well again it's through the what through the word through the word. I love what John Piper says. He says, when we cannot see the glory of the Lord directly as we will, when he returns in the clouds, we see it most clearly by the means of his word, the written word. So now catch this. This is how it works. The people often say, uh, I've I've been asked, well, what is the Bible really all about? Here it is. In case you've missed it, here's what the Bible is all about. It's all about, it's a meta-narrative. That is, it's a huge, long, giant story about God's redemptive plan for mankind. It's about how man blew it, and God turns everything around, saves undeserving man, and brings him to himself, and he brings us back to the garden, the garden that we failed to remain in because of our own sin. And guess who is the central figure of that redemptive story? Jesus Christ, right? So, when we read the word of God, whether in the Old Testament looking to or in the New Testament looking back, what is all of the word about? It's about Jesus Christ. And what is Jesus Christ all about? Revealing to us the will and the image and the likeness of the Father. So, here's what I want you to know. How many of you need a word from God today? All right, raise your hand. You're like, I need a word. I need a word. You have it. Okay, all right. So, so many other times, man, I'm just, I'm just looking for a word. I need a word. And see, and it's, and here's the great thing about that. Sad thing about that is that it's almost like people are let down. Uh, You'll sit there and say, well, you got a word. Here's what I want you to understand. If God were to come, if you were to ask him a question right now and he were to come to you and answer your very question, he would say nothing more and nothing less than what he's already said in the word of God. Nothing more and nothing less He would come and he would speak to you, and what it is is binding as though he were to come to you and speak face to face. We have a God who communicates to us each and every day through the reading and the study of God's word. Now, some of you, I don't even know what to do. That so fires me up, and some of you are like, man, you got to give me something more than that, right? Listen, why is it that you are not moved with the fact that, That an all-powerful, mighty God wants to speak to you. Okay, this is where sometimes pastors have to say hard things to the congregation in love. And I say this in the most loving, caring way I can, but you need to understand, not everybody wants to talk to you. Not every... uh, You do understand that, right? You're like, wait, this is... This is not a Joel Osteen message. No, it's not, but I'm just trying to, I'm trying to work with you here, okay? Listen, not everybody wants to know you. Not everybody wants to talk to you. So let that sink in for a minute. I know that's a little bit hard, but it's true. I learned this firsthand just a little while ago. Uh, my son and I, do you guys remember when Derek Henry and Kelvin Taylor, remember those, those two, uh, were playing here at Yule, remember? At the high school. And it was like the whole world Ascended here on Julie you know ESPN was here the whole world was here ESPN was here and and we went and we just wanted to be a part of history and so we kind of hung out for a little while and and then we realized that University of Florida wasn't getting Derrick Henry and so the whole game was depressing and so we just left early and so we, we left early. My son and I are walking, and we're walking through the field trying to, like, I don't know. We're go- well, we ended up jumping over the fence, okay? So that's what your 43-year-old pastor does. And so, uh, and so we're walking through, trying to figure out how to get out of here. And as we're walking through, all of a sudden, we see our new coach, Will Muschamp. And Will Muschamp is cutting the opposite way. And I see him, and I go, okay, that's Will, that's Will Muschamp, dude. And he goes, it is. And I go, yeah, that's Will Muschamp right there. And I go, hey, coach, how's it going? All right? And he turns, and he gives me a look kind of similar to this. I don't know if we, do we have that? I don't know if we have that picture. That right there. That's about, (laughs) it's about the look that I got. And there was really no response. It was just this crazy, awkward, him looking at me like that for a moment and still just kind of walking by trying to figure out who I am and why, why it is that I'm talking to him. And, and, and this uncomfortable silence is broken by my son when I hear in a soft whisper, awkward. <laughs> and he goes, dad, he, he didn't want to talk to you, did he? And I go, apparently not, son. I don't think he really has any care for me whatsoever at all. Doesn't want to know that at all. But let me, let me, let me suggest this, is, is, it's okay with me. It's okay with me that an underachieving coach that gets fired, that goes to another team, doesn't, doesn't want to speak to me. I'm okay with it. Here's why. Because the creator God wants to speak to me, and he wants to speak to you. I want you to understand that, and some of you are sitting back, and some of you have a hard time with that. You have a hard time that God would want to speak to you. You have a hard time believing that, and I don't know whether it's some kind of crazy so low self esteem that you have or whatever it is, but he doesn't but here's the good thing it 's a matter who you are it matters who God is. you know I know for so long um I've had so many of my friends when they met Larissa when we first got married um or before we got married, many of them would tell me, they would go, dude, you're just undeserving of her. There's just no way. She's way out of your ballpark. And, and it's not like one of those joking things, ha, ha, ha. It's No, literally, dude, she's like way out of your ballpark. And her friends would say it. And then every once in a while, I'd say, man, somebody would say, man, do you ever get tired of hearing that? I go, no, I'm, I'm absolutely okay with it. Why? They go, why are you okay with somebody telling you that you're not living up and you're not, you're not good enough for her? I said, think about it. I'm not good enough for her, but yet she wants me, <laughs> all right? All right. Uh, she, she, I'm not good enough for her. I completely lucked out, won the lotto, whatever it is. And here's the thing is, I'm not going to go around, and you need not go around sitting and go Why would God want to know me? It's not about you. It's about how good he is. So just enjoy the fact that God wants to speak to you. So that's the first part of prayer. There's a second part of prayer, and that is our response to him. He speaks, we respond. It's not just that God It's not just that God wants to speak to you. He desires for you to to, to be spoken by you. Now why is that? Why does he want us to pray to him? Why does he want us to speak to him? Is it is it so that we can gain knowledge from him? No, see we, 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 we speak to each other for two completely different purposes. We want God to speak to us because we need knowledge. We need to know who he is and what he's all about and what his will is and what he has for us. When we speak to him, he lacks no knowledge. He's not asking us to talk to him, to be able to share our hearts and share us what's on our mind simply and, and to be able to, uh, uh, you know, to give him some kind of information that he doesn't already know or to even to tell him what, what our needs are. Jesus said very clearly in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, he said, the Father knows what you need even before you ask. So then what's the point of prayer? Why would we pray? God wants a relationship with you in conversation that both demonstrates and deepens the relationship. Do you get that? Your God wants a relationship with you, and your communicating with him demonstrates that there is, in fact, a relationship. The more that you talk with him, the deeper the intimacy of that relationship occurs within that relationship. Now, ladies, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about here. Because some of you went out and you married the strong, silent type, right? How many of you? Strong, silent type. Any ladies, right? My wife's not going to raise her hand towards me, right? Strong, silent type, some of you did. But then as you were married, you begin to realize just how silent he was. And and so for some of you, you you, you will sit there, and at times you're bearing your heart with your husband. You're telling, hey, this is where my heart is. These are my desires. These are my feelings. And you get done after 30 minutes of that, and you get blank stare back. And what you're thinking to yourself is, man, give me something. Something, I don't care what it is. Quote the alphabet. I don't care what it is. Just give me something to know that you're there. What's the desire of the wife to be able to communicate in that way with her husband? It's because conversation again demonstrates and deepens the relationship god wants to be in relationship with you which means speaking to and listening to now note this and in, in now in uh the the more excuse me and in more that you know about someone the more intimately you converse with them isn't that true right there's some of some of you i just don't know super well and it's not because i chose not to but it's just kind of it's this kind of conversation hey how you doing it's good to have you here today. Everything okay? Family okay? I don't even know if you have family. Family okay? You know, just I'm just I'm just kind of taking a guess there. Er, you know, everything okay? But then the more that you know somebody, it's different questions. How how's your son, John? H- how, how's your daughter? H- how did she end up doing on that test? That she ended up passing that. You see that there's a level of warmth and intimacy there, but it's based on what knowledge of that other person. Now, uh, uh, Tim Keller, in his book on prayer, he, he makes two arguments. The first argument is this concerning prayer. He says that, he says that all human beings have a, some basic knowledge of God. Do you believe that? The Scriptures teach us that. Romans chapter 1 and verse 2, Paul tells us that there's this thing that we, that we call general revelation, and that is that God reveals himself in a general way to all people, to all mankind, to all humanity. And, and we read that in, in Romans 1, we see that one of the ways that he does that is through his, his creation, through all that is around us. Listen to this, Romans chapter 1, verse 19, he says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things in which, he has been, which have been made, and they are without excuse. Do you see that? He says, even a person that is completely devoid of any kind of religious background, just because of the creation, if he's just honest and looks around him, he can know that A, there is a God exists, and he can know that he's at least all powerful. He knows something about his nature. But it's not just that. It's not just creation that is general revelation that speaks to us to tell us basically what God is about, but it's also our conscience. And he writes about this in, in Romans chapter 2 and verses 14 through 15. He says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and in their, in their, in their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. A way for a person to know that there is a God and that there is an ultimate lawgiver is because of the conscience within them. They don't need to have the Bible to know that it's wrong to kill somebody or wrong to lie. Why? Because the conscience, God had written his basic law on every person's heart so that when we actually break God's law, even though we may not have the written portion of it, that we know that we're doing something that's wrong or we can know that we're ultimately doing something that is right. This is why everybody has a basic understanding that, God, that both God exists and basically what he is ultimately like. And that's, that's, that's uh, Tim Keller's argument. It's, it's the argument of the word of God. That's why he says a fool says that there is no God, right? Because it's evidence, not only outside of us, but it's evident within us. Here's the second argument that Tim Keller makes. He's, not only does he say that everybody has a basic understanding of who God is and that he exists, but he also says that there is, a, there is an internal, almost universal desire inside mankind to somehow connect with that higher power. Would you agree with that? Uh, there, there seems to be, okay, we know there's this God out there, and there seems to be this desire. Uh, there, I would love to connect somehow, some way to this greater power, this power that's greater than us. And let me ask you this question, see if you know and see if you've been paying attention to the series title. Um, do we, how is it that most people try to connect with him? It's through what? Starts with a P ends with an R. Prayer, very good. All right, not trying to give the answers away or anything. It's C. All right. So anyway, um, it's 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 through prayer, and we see this, don't we? We see this all, all through almost every religion. We see Buddhists trying to pray by spinning their prayers on a uh, on a prayer wheel to God. We see Hindus trying to pray to one or at least many of the millions of gods that they have. Uh, we see very devout Muslims. They 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 pray at least what five times a day, looking towards Mecca. Devout Jews historically have prayed three times a day. Uh, Southern Baptists, devout Southern Baptists, have prayed at least before every meal. Right? Um, right you I missed that. Okay, at least which can be a lot of praying. All right, which can be a lot of praying. Um, even non-believers. All right, even people who don't believe ultimately in God or have no relationship with Christ whatsoever, it, it, they could say that God doesn't exist. Even in some points of crisis, they might even, on occasion, be able to cry, cry out. But when they cry out, who are they crying out to? It, it's almost like they're just kind of throwing a Hail Mary, right? They're just kind of like, hey, it, it sounds more like a Pink Floyd. You know, their, 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 their prayer is like a Pink Floyd song, right? Is there anybody out there, right? That's kind of how their prayer is. Some are like, yeah, Pink Floyd, baby. Some are like... <laughs> Who's Pink Floyd, dude? All right? So anyway, but is there anybody out there? It's this song that they sang, all right? Don't go listen to it because it's probably got bad words. But anyway, just telling you, is there anybody out there? And so, so prayer seems to be, here's what we know, seems, prayer seems to be common to one degree or another with all humanity. However, those prayers, and I think that this is where we could agree again, is those prayers of a believer and unbeliever and of a new Christian and, and a mature Christian are radically different from one another. And what makes them different? One thing, knowledge of God. What makes a prayer either accurate, convicting, moving, and appropriate, God-honoring, life-transforming, is based on the knowledge of God that somebody has of him. If there is no knowledge, then the prayer is ineffective. If the person is not listening to what God is ultimately saying, what he's revealing about himself and what his will is, our prayers will ultimately be self-centered and deluded. We'll pray things all the time, but it's not anchored. It's not tethered to the word of God. You know, when I study the Bible, it appears that there's three major categories that, are, that, that I think that we're supposed to pray for. Number one, we should pray that God should be glorified in all things. Would you agree with that? God should be glorified in all things, should be in our prayers. Second, prayer, second, I think, area is that we would be transformed in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, yes? And I think the third is that the world around us would be radically transformed would be radically transformed. Would you, I, and I don't know if those are, it doesn't, I haven't looked that up in the Bible where it says here's the three categories. I don't have that. But when I read, it's, don't, so don't hold me to it, but doesn't it seem a little bit, when you think a little bit about the Lord's Prayer, kind of falls into those kind of three categories, glory of God, radical transformation of myself, and radical transformation of the world, the lost world, and for others. And so we see this, and so what I would suggest to you is, how do you pray in a way that's glorifying to God if you don't know who God is if you know nothing about him i've given you this illustration before and it's not mine but i'll just give it to you again my wife sitting back in the corner with my beautiful children back there she you know i don't know if you i don't know if you know who my wife is or anything but it, it doesn't matter how beautiful the words are and even if i dance before my wife as i begin to sing all kinds of wonderful glorious things about her appearance and how wonderful she is and i could do all of these things for her and tell her you know your blonde hair is luscious your your blue eyes are gorgeous as the deepest sea and and i can i can take ribbons out and i can throw and i can do all of these things for her to impress her But unless I'm saying some kind of truth concerning her, she's not glorified on it. Why? Because she has very dark hair. She has very dark eyes, right? God wants to be glorified for who he is. How can I be transformed in the image and likeness of Christ if I don't know what God is calling me to be like? How do I know that I need transformation? How do I know what needs to change unless I'm receiving the word of God on a consistent basis, which ultimately tells me what that is? How do I know what to pray for the world? How do i know to pray the will of god for him on earth that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven how do we even pray that unless i know uh, what his will is for the word and let me ask you this we have a god who speaks what's the only way to ultimately know all of those things through his what through his word through the word of god now i, I want to make sure that we understand i'm not suggesting that god does not answer uh, that god doesn't answer the prayers of lost people I think he certainly can. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. He doesn't have to get my permission or yours, right? And you're still angry with me saying that not everybody wants to speak to you, aren't you? I can tell some of you are still upset about that point. But, but, but the idea there is, is that, that, that he could do whatever he wants to. Sometimes he chooses to, to answer the prayers of those who are lost. And I'm certainly not suggesting that we need to become experts in theology and in the Bible before we ever attempt to begin to pray. I love what John Calvin wrote when he says that God tolerates, listen to this, God tolerates even our stammerings and pardons our ignorance whenever something inadvertently escapes us, as indeed without this mercy there would be no freedom to pray. So you don't have to be afraid to pray. You don't have to sit back. And I've heard people, countless people say all the time, I'll say, hey, would you pray? I don't really know how to. Right? I want to let you know, on one hand, that's okay. Just pray, communicate to him. Talk with him. He's merciful and gracious. That even many times we have prayed, maybe the wrong things. He he gets it. He's he's patient with us, right? He he, he gets all that stuff. I I am um, one of our. W- when, well, I'm not anyway. So so sometimes we get some of these things wrong. And, and you know, I love my I love my daughter. I'm going to say anyway. So I love I love all of my daughters and my daughter the other day. She said, you know, my wife was telling her about Jesus and we're trying to kind of work through this. And we're talking about how because Jesus died, you know, he knew a way to get us out of hell. And she my little daughter says, well, dad knows how to get us out of hell, too. You know, so he knows. He knows. So, so we're, we're you know, because dad can do anything, right? And so, I hate. I'm gonna have to say, I, yeah, I do know how to get out of here. I just can't get you out of there. Only Jesus Christ can. But when they say that, you don't sit there and go, "I'm not listening to that. I'm not listening to you. this false theology." <laughs> no, you're not you're, just not. you're not doing that. What are you doing? You're being patient. And you're being loving. And it's what God is with us. He wants us to speak uh, with Him. And so we speak, but let me say this, even though we can take peace and solace in the fact that he's merciful and gracious, that even when we don't speak all the right things, that he'll still hear us and he'll still, he'll still, he'll still uh, uh, grant prayers and extend mercy to us. Listen to me, we cannot be content there. We can't be content and say, well, he's going to be fine anyway. No, 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 no. What we want to do is we want to be people who pray accurately and purely and and, and, and ascribe value to him and and know what it means for us to pray, to be transformed in the image of God and to pray for other people. I think we want all of that. God wants us to pray for him. I think that there's probably two two different types of groups here and i've been doing a lot of this lately i don't know why i'm trying to separate us into groups and everything i'm dividing the church but uh i, I think i think sometimes christians fall in these two categories sometimes you find folks that man they can study the word all day long and yet they struggle in prayer i mean they str- they just read and they read and they read and they study and they study and they study and they're like wow this is amazing but mike i really struggle with my prayer life and then you have other Christians who sometimes will sit back and they go, man, I just pray all the time, but you know I can't understand the word to really be able to save my life. No matter which side of those you're on, you're missing it. This is not for you simply to be lectured by God. And it's not simply a counseling session for you to be able to sit down on God's cosmic couch and to be able to bare your soul. It's communication between God and you, you responding to him as he speaks through the word so here's what it's going to take from this week on i just didn't want you to make a big list and say okay these are the ways that i'm supposed to pray and we're going to get to all that this is what i should be praying about this is how i should pray this is what i should be doing and the whole time miss that this wonderful thing of prayer can only begin with god consistently speaking to you which means you must be consistently in his word consistently in his word allowing him to speak to you each and every day and as he does your prayers will become become more natural and more flowing you will begin to have that deep intimate relationship with him you know let me let me finish with this last word the bible assumes that if you're a follower of jesus christ if you're a christian a follower of jesus christ that you'll pray it's it's an it's, it's an assumption Jesus said even in the Lord's prayer, he says, he says, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, the assumption is you're going you're gonna to ultimately pray. And, and the idea of us calling ourselves Christians and followers of Jesus Christ is that we want to mimic Jesus Christ, yes? And, and, and so here's what you need to understand. Jesus Christ, who are you trying to mimic and emulate and follow and be like, was all about prayer was constantly about prayer. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Here's just a couple examples of that. When Jesus would heal people, he would always do it through what? Prayer. When Jesus went into the temple and he drove out the money changers, and he drove them out, and he, t- he says the reason why he drives them out is because this was a house of what? House of prayer, and they had turned it into a den of thieves. When he sits down with his disciples, he, he takes time specifically to sit them down and to teach them how to pray. Jesus, we read many times, he's in the habit of getting up early in the morning, right? And to go off in a quiet, alone place to do what? To to play Yahtzee? No, to pray with Jesus, yes? To pray with him is what he wants to do and what he kept doing. When he, he prays in those quiet places, we see him at one, one event going with his mountain to his three closest friends on one occasion. And when he's praying, he's transfigured by God the Father into his glorious appearance. Jesus was praying the night before he was to go to the cross. He, he wants to get away. He wants to go to a garden. And the one thing that he wants to do is pray. And the one thing that he asks his friends to do with him is to stay awake and what? Pray with me. Pray with me. Jesus goes to the cross, and while he's on the cross, his last words is a prayer for us, for our salvation, for our forgiveness. He was all about prayer. So it's possible to say that we're most like Christ when we are in conversation with the Father, when we pray. Listen, because of what he did on that cross, made it possible for us to enter into the relationship to begin with. Because he died on the cross, taking away the wrath of God towards us sinners who deserve that wrath, he now has brought us back to the garden where in the cool of the day, you and I can commune with him in conversation. Are you saved? Are you born again? Have you recognized that for yourself? What I want to do today is, uh, of course, we want to always call for those who, who, who have never been born again. And, Dee Dee, you can come out at this time. We certainly want to call for them uh, to, 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 to respond to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's what I would suggest. The last thing. The theme is prayer, but the actual title is, hey, we need to talk. We need to talk. And you know, when when I came up with that phrase, we had one of the staff members tell us, he goes, he goes, you know, that's a little intimidating. Because, you know, Mike, whenever you call me into the office and you say, hey, we need to talk, it usually makes me a little bit nervous. And and I know how they feel, because when my wife sits there and goes, we need to sit down and talk, I'm like, oh no. And I'm racking my brain. What did I do? What did I not do? Right? You guys feel that. That's not really what I meant by that title. By the title, when I said, hey, we need to talk, the emphasis is need. We God is saying, we need to talk. We need to be in communion with each other. You need to hear from me, and I need to hear from you, and we need to drive down this relationship and intimacy, and it cannot happen apart from prayer. So let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you this morning, and Lord, I'm sure some people will sit back and go, well, look, there's not a whole lot to do here. He's not telling me to do anything. No, what I'm trying to get them to understand is what prayer is and our desperate need for it. Pray that as we walk away today, we will understand it. It will grip us. Let us begin right now this pattern of prayer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Stand together. I want to be down here. If you want to pray, if you want to know more about the gospel, about this Jesus, love to talk to you about that. If you want to just come to the altar and pray, you're more than welcome to do that. If you want to pray where you are. Just do and respond in light of God's word today, okay?